Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are across the globe. We are your hosts, Sean Alvari, and yours truly, Shai Jalier, and you are about to experience the S2 effect. Roll the intro. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining Shy and I on the S2 Effect. Um, we got Rod Underwood, our guest here. It's an absolute pleasure to have Rod. Um, he's been coaching at the USL level, professionally coached in Trinidad, Tobago as well. Um, played professionally, has a huge amount of experience within our beautiful game. It is an absolute pleasure to talk about leadership and the evolution of it. Rod, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So what I want to kind of get into right off the bat is what is your perspective of leadership approach within the youth environment versus pro environment? I think the, I think the first thing that we have to talk about is in leadership, right? It doesn't really matter how much knowledge you have in, in essence, unless you know how to use that knowledge, right? So in sports leadership today, they talk about these three, these three words, results, relationships, and responsibility. So they talk about those three things. Results, we can all understand, right? And it's two facets, what happens on the field, what happens in the front office, right? And then you have the uh, relationship part, right? And the relationship part is how do you connect with your players or if you're working in a front office, how do you connect with the staff if you're the general manager or technical director or whatever that is? And then responsibility. That's, a, that's kind of an interesting one because what we forget about sport, sport has a huge responsibility and especially soccer, right? Especially soccer. The soccer is the most powerful sport in the world when you, when you throw in FIFA, hands down the most powerful, most powerful sport in the world. So when you talk about responsibility, let's take it to the city level, right? Let's take it to uh, Atlanta United. What's their responsibility to Atlanta, the city of Atlanta and sport besides winning and losing, making money, creating entertainment? There's a much bigger responsibility as terms of how do you support the city financially? How do you support the city socially? How do you su support support the city you know, with ideas and ideologies. And also how do, you, how do you support the players, right? The married players, the non-married players, uh, the first time pros, the veterans looking at uh, retirement. Those are all things that we have to look at in terms of, in terms of sport. Uh, and that's the one that's forgotten about because in my mind, personally, sport is a game changer in life. I really believe that sport is a game changer in the sense of the power it has to influence cities, to influence politics, and so forth and so on. We just misuse it because of the results. So we don't get that balance right, that balance between results, responsibility, and relationship. That's, uh, I, I love the, the final comment that you made that, um... We, we, as coaches or as leaders, we sometimes uh, we lose the balance. Um, 
you know, they talk about different styles of leadership, uh, Rod. Uh, and I, you know, again, I don't want to kind of uh, make this a, a expose in science or sociology or whatnot. But at the end of the day, um, where do you draw your leadership style from? Um, and, and what kind of leader do you see yourself as? Well, the, I, can, I can describe it best as uh, when I stopped playing professional, I was, I was already coaching, getting my coaching license as I was playing, right? But as soon as I stopped playing, I almost immediately became a professional coach at the pro level. Coaching players that I had played with, you know, gone out after games with, you know, all these various things, right? That, um, and my philosophy was much like a player. As a player, I was like, get on my back. I'm the striker, give me the ball. I'm gonna score the goal, we will win. That's it. So I took that into I took that into coaching, right? Hey, team, just jump on my back. I'll lead you. We'll go and we'll win. That doesn't work. Right. That just doesn't work. Because everybody wants everybody wants to feel important. So I study leaders like, you know, I study John Wooden, um, Pat Riley, you know, Pep Guardiola. Uh, obviously, no one can, much as I don't like. Man United, you know, Ferguson, you got it. You got to say, you got to look at those things, right? right. Um, those things are really, really, really important that if you, um, if you study the leader. So my leadership style now is really a combination. And the leadership style I like is, is really relational, right? I like to have the group, right? <laughs> I like to have we the have a group. New, we, we have a new guest joining us. <laughs> yeah. I like to have a, I like to, I like to get the group's input, even on a team, even on, even a, I like to get the group's input, but they all know at the end of the day, the decision is mine to be made at the end, but I all want them to feel part of the, I, always, all, I want them all to feel part of the, um, the decision-making process, but understanding that I will make the decision at the end. Yeah. I would assume players feel a little bit more invested into the process if they feel like they're part of the collaborative process as well. So that that's that's interesting. And and oh. you know and, and but but you have to have people have to the the players have to trust you. Yeah, that's the key factor. If they don't trust you, because I had I had someone that was my um, that was you know I was he was my boss in in sport. He would ask those questions all the time. But it was just to play the game, right? He never used he never used any of our information to help move the organization forward. You know that's fantastic, uh, and I appreciate it, Shai, for bringing that point up because it segues into our next part, where I want to kind of even elaborate more on it. What are the key qualities that great leaders have? That's and a good question. What what is it that makes those key qualities great within them, if we can elaborate on that. I think if we go back to the foundational principles of leadership, for so many years, we thought leaders were born and they are born. Some people are just born with these great characteristics to lead. But what, I don't wanna get into the science and sociality like Shai said, right? But the reality is there's now actually data that shows that leaders can be 
developed. Mate developed, yeah, because mate's not the right word. Because I do believe there's talent in everyone. We don't know the level of that talent, but what we do know is that there's leadership qualities in every single person. It just depends on if they want to be a leader, if they want to take that side of their personality and lead it, take it to a leadership perspective. So the characteristics, right? There's loads of characteristics, right? They say you got to be charismatic. You got to have a good, you, you got to have, uh, you know, good sense of humor. You've got to be uh, trustworthy. You've got to lead with integrity. All these various things, right? So there's a, there's a conglomerate, right? Of different types of leadership qualities. But if we had to take one and only one, it's integrity. You have to lead with integrity. And what does that mean? I was listening to uh, a podcast yesterday by John Maxwell and Hendrick Racing. Uh, if you're into racing, I'm not into racing, but I just know Hendrick Sports, right? They're one of the most, in terms of auto racing, one of the biggest uh, companies in, in, auto, in auto racing. And he went, John Maxwell went to speak at, um, at one of their events and someone had been with the company for 20 some odd years came in and said, I'd rather have a handshake deal with Hendrick than I would having a contract with anybody else in the business. And that's someone that's been there for 20 years and knows the business inside and out. So integrity is, is number one. You cannot leave without integrity. Don't get me wrong, you can win without integrity. You can be on the top for a while with, without integrity. But remember, leadership is beyond the field. And that's, in the end, the most important thing there is. Rod, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, the styles of leadership and, you know, I, I definitely think there's going to be some core values that you stick with in terms of this is who I am as a leader. Um, let me ask you, how does perhaps a changing culture affect the way you lead? Um, again, obviously you have certain non-negotiables and there's certain values you're gonna stick by. And, and it kind of circles back to, I think what Sean was asking the first question is, you know, is there a difference between a youth environment and a pro environment? Is there a difference, you know, culturally, I, I know you coached in, in Trinidad, is your leadership approach, does it have to be flexible? Does it have to morph according to where or who you're coaching or who you're leading? Well, when you talk about pro and youth, short answer, no. Long answer, yes. Um, but um, when you talk, because that, that question is very, very, very interesting. And I'll use a word, right? Um, globalization, right? So, you know, when, you, when we talk about globalization, we talk about, let's go back to a time when the Bozeman ruling opened up the, the transfers throughout Europe, right? Before that, most of the clubs were homogeneous, right? Meaning they were pretty much, most of the, most of the players on the team were from that nation. Unlike today, in any country, you could field a starting 11 from any other country in the world because you have now the money to go and get citizenships, get documentation so that 
you can circumvent the rules that are set forth by the limit of foreign players, right? So what we have to understand is now a leader needs to have a global mindset. And what that means is respect that you might have multi, multiple languages in your team. So let's, let's not, that's not different between youth and adult, youth and pro, because in, with, the, with our immigration and everything, so many people coming to our country and traveling the world, that's the same, that's the same issue at, at both, right? Cultural differences, uh, you know, country to country, religious differences, political differences, racial differences, right? So if a coach doesn't have a global mindset, even at the youth level, it's very difficult to be a good coach because you coming, you would only come from, say for me being an American, say I'm an American who's never traveled the world, never coached outside the country. I'm gonna have a purely American way of thinking. Even if I do, even if I do study, if I do read, that's not enough. I need, I need to be able to tangibly explain. As you, you asked the question, coaching in Trinidad and Tobago, coaching in Jamaica, the cultures are different, right? So something, something that shocked me the first time I went to uh, Trinidad and Tobago was island time. I, I'm like, you know, if you're, five, if you're on time, you're late, right? Oh, well, we can, we can get here 10 minutes later and we're just fine. So that was a, that was a cultural difference. And so a leader in today's world, even at the youth level, even at, let me rephrase that, even at the elite youth level, because if you're talking about, hey, bring in my U8 in my neighborhood and we're playing, it's not the same. Um, but um, with, uh, with the way it is today, you gotta be a global leader. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand the differences that do exist. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fascinating because it is a challenge. I think the challenge with pros, you're managing egos, you're managing their psychology and how to get maximum performance on the youth, depending which youth organization you're dealing with. You're managing families, you're managing player development and a player enjoyment depending on mm -hmm. how young they are. So like, I think one of the things that stands out for me is which coach is adaptable to. I think as a coach, you've got to be adaptable to your environment and uh, got to understand the environment you do. So I truly appreciate Arad on hitting those points. But one of the things, the next things I want to kind of transition to is how do you lead a team of talented players who lack elite mindset and work ethic to be successful. Uh, and I want to kind of tie it back to, there was a great document, a documentary on the playbook, coach's playbook, that Serena Williams' coach, Patrick, was discussing a great question. Why do players tank? Why do players tank? And it, he said the main thing is talented players tank, okay? And I want to go, how do we as coaches, in your perspective, um, coach talented players that have and that lack the mindset and work ethic to be successful? That, that's a great question. But you mentioned something very interesting earlier, just to, in, this, in, this, in this piece here about 
how do we change, how do we manage or how do we lead in the ever-changing world, right? Mm. And something that is interesting that's coming out in sports leadership is the modern contemporary leader must be able to lead through ambiguity, meaning the uncertainties of what's happening and being freer to let things go and being adjustable. Because Jai mentioned about leadership styles. Something else that's coming out in sports leadership is that sports leaders now can move between different styles depending on the circumstances and the situations within their organization, within their team. So that's a, that's a new, that's a new thing in sports leadership, because if you go look at our greats, right, look at our great in American sports, right, you can see that someone were very, you know, Vince Lombardi, he, he never changed, right? He was the same leader all the time. He was the same leader all the time. So um, that was, um, that was important, but now the modern, the modern leader cannot. And the reason the modern leader cannot is because something that we will all find interesting is that the way that the way the process is of group think and group making leadership, sometimes the leader, the general manager is the follower and the, and the hourly person is the leader in these decision-making situations. So very interesting thinking, right? Very interesting thinking. So now to answer the, you know, the question of how do we manage the elite player, right? That is, that is, that is so unique because here's the reality. The mental aspect of the game, of soccer, right? Of football, of American, of, of, you know, European football, of world football is just now coming into its own, right? There, there's, you know, there's people out there that talk about it, but now there's information showing, right? That what it takes, right? So to manage that elite player, first off, it's relationship. It's relationship. If you have the correct relationship with, um, with the player, they trust you. They know that if they don't perform on their level, and this is the biggest key, if they don't perform on the particular level, the day on that particular day, they don't feel the pressure from the coach. They feel the pressure from themselves because they know that the coach trusts them to get back. You guys see the, you guys see the, uh, it's like a thing on ESPN where Steve, uh, you know, Stephen Curry is having, yeah, yeah. You know, Curry's having not a great game. And then Kerr comes in and says, man, I wish I could shoot. You know, I wish I could shoot like you. And that, that was a great day for me. That's why Curry doesn't tank in that environment. That's why when you see him, he's always upbeat because the, the coach has instilled in him, hey, be yourself, man. I know the level that you can be, but I know you can't play that way every single day. And that, that is what's going to be the difference maker helping that elite player. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, it, it reminds me of a quote that basically says that uh, leaders who try to fix everything and um, create an environment where there's always smooth sailing, they're actually robbing the athlete of the greatest teacher, and that is failure. Uh, and I think there's a difference between take tanking and setbacks and failures, right? Um, you know, how do you how do you deal 
with setback, both as a leader, you know, you, you hear about coaches and leaders who, who basically have to shut down for two days after a tough loss, or they feel like they mismanaged a, a situation in the locker room. Um, can you take us down the path of your, your, your thought process of how you deal as a leader with setbacks? Because how you portray yourself, I'd imagine how you portray yourself in front of your, your group, your team, um, in moments of setback has to be one of the greatest uh, tools that you have that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of setback, you have your shoulders back and you're still able to kind of lead. Can you give us some um, thinking, uh, uh, insight into the way you, you deal with those situations? Well, yeah, because I think first, right, as elite coaches, elite players, we play to have fun, but we play to win, right? We coach to have fun, but we want to win. No, there's, there's no like, there's no other option in our mind, right? But to win. Right. So it's really important, right? So if I take myself back, right, when I would lose as a player, I wouldn't talk to anybody. And especially if I missed a chance, you don't come near me, right? And again, so when I moved into coaching, it was the same thing. And I began to feel, I began to feel alienated from the players after the game because I would go in and I would talk for a half an hour about absolutely nothing. And I think I did something, right? And so now that's moved forward to the place of, it's a handshake. Hey guys, great job. See you tomorrow at the pro level. Hey, or day off tomorrow, you know, we'll talk about it on, on Tuesday. Right. Um, and that's it. You know, I might, if it's, I might say, Hey, you know, guys, Hey, we're, we're moving on. We'll get the next one. We'll fix it. Right. But I have found that it's best to have a cooling off period. Right. And I have to really, as a person realize that, you know, we all believe that winning and losing is life and death. We all do. Right. That's just the reality. That's how we act. But we also have to understand that it's not losing, it's learning. Can we change that mindset? We go from not losing to learning. So if we say we've learned something, we create a better chance of winning. But if we say we lost something, immediately we're only trying to get back to the level that we were when we lost. But if we learn something, we're immediately propelling ourselves beyond that level that we were when we lost. And that's a little trick in the mind, right? Excellent. No, I mean, that's fantastic. And I loved how you brought in the cooling period. I think that's so important in a world of competition, in a world of egos. I think in the end of the day, we can't joke about it. Whenever we, if we became a player, there's a reason we became a player. We we're competitive. If we went up the ladders, there's a reason we went up the ladders. We were competitive. And the ego feeds that too. It goes hand in hand. I think in time, as not everyone, but the most, the better, the elite, mature, understand how to manage it. And I want to kind of talk about that cooling period a little bit. 
uh, we were talking about how do we, you know, talk to our players and that. What happens if a player comes to you and is disrespectful, crosses the line, lets you have it in front of the group, okay? And in that moment, we we're talking about cooling period. As a leader, do you let them have it to not lose a group? Do you take a step back and say, maybe I got to bite myself, let him express himself. Maybe he's heated. Maybe you've got to understand what game he went through and then privately talk to him because that's an interesting situation when someone lets you have it and he's, he's doing it in a way to do it in front of the group. So it's kind of challenging you, but you can maybe lose him or the group. How do you go upon approaching that? Well, another example, right? I was coaching, it was halftime. And I led into a player, right? I just like reamed him, one of our best players, right? You think as a veteran guy, he could he could handle it. He couldn't handle it. So he jumped back at me. And so I said, You're done. Take off your kit. You'll never play for this team again. And that was it. He never played for me again. That was the wrong way to handle it. Hmm. That was the wrong way to handle it. If 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 I if I if a player just comes after the match and unprovoked, just because in the heat of the moment comes and shouts at me and does things in front of the group that's totally disrespectful to me and my position, I would simply personally take it in the sense of, okay, hey, we're all hot, we're all, because at the end of the day, I must remain calm because let's go back to the pitch, right? The coach on the sideline, if I can remain calm in that heat of the moment, players hopefully can translate that to the moment where they're on the field and they're in a tough situation, right? In a tough situation. And they saw, well, coach was able to in a really tough situation too, maybe even greater than this, because it was a definite attack against his person and against his position, but it remained calm. Can I do the same thing? So we have to model behaviors, right? So if we can model those behaviors, but if you have done it properly in the beginning, player handbook, player rules, player blah, 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 blah. You have now the opportunity to hold the player accountable in a professional manner beyond the manner in which that player tried to hold you accountable. So again, you elevate yourself in front of the group and you elevate yourself, probably more importantly, in front of management. Because do you all know in today's modern game, management will know what happened before you walk out of the locker room and get in your car, they will know, right? So um, it's really it's really important. So you just have to model that behavior. And and um, now, if we're talking about a youth player, it might be a little bit different story because this is an adult to youth, and we're talking about a respect model of simply an adult to a youth, right? And so that was, so that response might be a little bit different. It definitely wouldn't be a shouting match. It'd be like, hey, you know, maybe it's an interruption this time. Hey, let's stop. Let's talk about this later. Because they are a youth. And what you don't want to do is you don't want to empower a youth to feel they can go beyond this point. Because the reality it's is- a, It's a teachable moment. Yes. Whereas as an adult, they're an adult. And let's be fair. They might be older, more experienced, and some of the things they're saying could be true. 
And the players could, could know that that's true, right? So you have to have a different level of interaction. I don't know if you guys have seen that little uh, YouTube clip, but uh, I've been uh, reading uh, or actually listening to uh, the Carly Ancelotti book, uh, Quiet Leader, but he's at Bayern and Frank, he subs Frank Ribery and Frank Ribery comes off the field right on the sideline and starts laying into him. And Carlo Ancelotti grabs him by, you know, both sides of the ear and kisses him on the cheek. And you just see Frank Ribery absolutely melt and actually hug him <laughs> and then goes to sit down. And, it, and if that's not a coach, he just understands how to, how to kind of, you know, I'm sure it was the most sincere uh, gesture from Ancelotti, but at the same time, it's social intelligence, isn't it? I mean, he understands yeah. in the heated moment how to kind of decompress a player, a high-level player who's, who's not taken kindly to coming off. Um, so I think that's that was some great insight there, Rod. Uh, shifting gears, uh, we talk about, uh, and again, you know, they talk about the Tuckman model of, of a team's uh, movement through performing, you know, storming, norming, and then adjourning. Um, and how, how coaches have to have some insight to that. Um, do you have any stories of, uh, or, or experiences or something that you could take away and share? Like, look, this was, this was a moment uh, in time where I had this team and it looked like it was going to be in shambles and I realized it's just part of the process and we came out the other end. You know, you talk about uh, the 90s Chicago Bulls seem to have this uh, Tuckman model of going through this performing, storming, norming, and then adjourning. Do you have any stories or experiences that you could share with us? And if not, I, I didn't want to put you on the spot there, but I, I figure uh, that might be a great talking point. Well, yeah, I mean, I think for, for me, one of the most current ones would be 2014 when I was assistant head coach at the Sacramento Republic. So leading up to it, right? I was at the Portland Timbers um, working with the, uh, working with the Timbers and what was I doing there? I think I was with the U23s and the, uh, and uh, the, uh, the academy. I think that's what I was doing. So Gavin Wilkinson comes to me and he says, "Hey, we're going to partner with Sacramento, and you know, like you see all the partnerships today, but we want you to go down and be on the staff." And you know, Caleb Porter chimed in and he said it. Merritt Polson chimed in. I'm like, and then I found out who the general manager was, and I said, "No chance," because I don't get along with his son, so I'm not going. I don't want to do it. And I said, and I even said to Gavin. Why are you asking me that, man? You know my relationship. That's what I'm saying to Gavin, right? Because yeah, but we you know we trust you. We the guys trust you. You know when we send players down, Caleb and Merritt are like, okay, let me think about it. So this goes on for a little bit, and then Precky calls me, right? Precky calls me, and me and Precky have a talk, and it's like, okay, Precky, I'll, I'll do it because Precky was a head coach, I'll do it. I didn't know Precky from anybody, right? Just besides seeing me on the field and playing, right? So Precky calls me um, and we talk and it's like, right away, it's like, okay, I, I got to do this, right? So we go down 
I think I go down for the first time in, was it either December of 13 or January of, of 14. And yeah, I think it was January, January, February 14. Season, I remember the season's going to start 14, April, like April of 2014. So not a lot of time. We have a week, have a trial, and then we have a, we have an invite back. And, you know, and so I'm there, we pick our team. It's like, oof, could be a long year, right? Looking at some of the guys based on where I was coming from with the Timbers and the players I was working with. It's going to be a long year. So then the schedule comes out. First two game, first weekend is Galaxy 2 and Chivas when Chivas is like, you know, like, oof, this is going to be tough, right? I think we go down, we beat Chivas, and we tie Galaxy 2. And we're feeling good. That's a good opening weekend, right? And then we just go on this sort of roller coaster, up and down, up and down. And we're wondering, okay, I mean, we, we were like, you know, up in the top three, down to like six or seven. I think the team was on, the league was only like 12 teams at the time. So, you know, we we're middle of the table, right? And the teams at the bottom were really bad. So you really had to be really bad to not to be at the bottom of the table, right? Um, so we're talking, Precky's talking, the other staff, we're all talking. It's like, well, we just gotta be patient. You know, it's gonna come, it's gonna mold. And we go on this trip back East. We play Dayton and we play Rochester. And um, Rochester's always been one of the top teams, right? And so we go in and what makes it crazy is, did we play Dayton first? I think we played Dayton, maybe, I don't know, somewhere we got delayed, there was lightning. And so we had to stay at our hotel. We had to do all, so we, we were delayed. We go to Rochester and we beat Rochester. Rochester might be top of the table at the time. Um, and we beat Rochester. I think Bob, yeah, Bob Lilly was the coach at Rochester at the time. And then we fly over to Dayton and we beat Dayton 3-0, 3-2, 3-1. It was, it was, I think the score was close, but the game wasn't close. Um, and that was like the moment that I, I, if I'd have to actually, I have it in my email. I, I emailed myself after that weekend and I said, we'll win the championship. I literally emailed myself. And I pulled the trainer aside and said, don't say anything to anybody. Just keep it in the back of your mind. We'll win it. We'll win it after that weekend. And right there, it's like, from there, it was just different story. And then it just sort of unfolded, right? Orlando City was top. And they were playing. They were top. And they got home. So we got to go to Orlando City. And, you know, a lot of the guys that are playing, played in the first Orlando City MLS team were playing. And then we, we, they get knocked out by Harrisburg. So we get the host, right? And then we win it, we, we win it. And it's like, it was just the craziest thing. Was it, was it something that happened in that trip? Was it just the adversity of, you know, you, you, you hear about teams who are on these crazy road trips that actually cripple them. Was it a particular thing that brought the team together? Was it just like, hey, we're stuck here together and that's kind of what created this momentum for you? What, what exactly was it? Well, I think we, we had some tangible things, right? There was a couple of things off the field. We had a uh, team, what was he? He was like the team manager. So he managed all of our travel, all of our meals on the road. The guy who was horrendous. Oh boy. He was horrendous. But the thing was, he was handpicked by the general manager. So we couldn't say anything. So myself and another assistant, we were able to get Preki to go to 
the general manager said, hey, let us manage the meals. We'll book all, we'll do all this. You guys get the flights, get all, but let us manage the on-ground stuff. And he was traveling with us at first. And so we said, can he not travel with us? So we changed those things, right? And uh, from there, it was just like, we began to say we're like Teflon because we were having issues, right? Uh, things were coming in. So we said, hey, we're, we're like, nothing's gonna stick to us. And whatever we do, it's us. It's all about us. I mean, even to the point of, to be fair, when we watch video, if we watch for half our video, five minutes was on the other team, the other 25 was about us. That was the whole mindset the whole time about just, it's all about us, all about us, all about us in training. It's all about us. Yeah, we, yeah, they've got uh, so-and-so, but it's all about us. Everything was, everything was about that. And that's all props to Precky. That's all props to Precky. He was just like all on it. He was just like, he was just managing it so well. It was, it was just a beautiful thing to see. Awesome. That's fantastic, uh, Rod. Again, Rod, thank you so much for putting in the time to come on the show and kind of uh, give us your perspective from leadership, letting Shai and I kind of um, engage on it, give our perspective and kind of segue on it. We want to, with S2 Effect, we want to kind of give you the platform to close us out any plugs you have um, going on, any projects you have going on that you want uh, the audience, the viewers to know about so they can kind of be a part of it to make our game even better. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, um, what I have, what, what's really over the course of the last, really, I mean, the last couple of years, but having the time with the pandemic to really think about it, um, I have really come to the understanding that, look, I, I, I don't say this in, a, in an arrogant way, but I would say any coach in this country, I have, I believe that my technical and tactical knowledge is on any of their levels or better than a lot of them. Uh, that's not to knock anybody, but I feel that where my growth needs to happen is my leadership. And so I've really sort of invested a lot of time during this, uh, during the pandemic, which, you know, stuck us at home for a long time about leadership. Um, and so just studying and learning and doing, and I believe that can, I believe that to use John Maxwell's word, words, he says that everything begins and ends with leadership. So for any coach out there, no matter what you know, if you can't lead, you may have success. Anyone can reach success, but can you have continual success to be in a situation where others look at you to be a model organization or a leader? And that's ultimately what you want to get to. So that's the sort of my my sort of take on what's happening. Sean? Yeah, yeah, Rod. Uh, first of all, Sean, thank you, uh, Rod. It, it, it's it's been a pleasure to have you, um, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, the the pandemic has kind of put us all in a state of hopefully 
self self reflection and uh, the desire to grow. I know Sean and I, the biggest thing about the S2 effect is really uh, for us is to, to promote um, players, to promote coaches, administrators of the game and to have a tangible effect on it. So we're just so grateful to your service in this game. Uh, and uh, we're really appreciative that you took the time to, to join us on the S2 effect. Yeah, I love it, man. I love it. I mean, it's just, you guys do a great job. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank you. All right, guys.